Welcome to the Since Graduation Podcast. My name is Calvin Van Leeuwen, and this is my co-host, Hairclip, also known as Emmanuel David. Thanks again, Calvin. (laughs) Ah, gotta love that introduction. Okay, I have been thinking about one thing, and one thing only, uh, for the past week since we recorded last time. Tell me. And it's about a color. It's about the color pink. (laughs) Pink? Yes, pink. We were talking about pink prisons in the last episode. And I said, I thought it would be weird that they would make the prisons pink because traditionally red in color psychology is a color that invokes anger and rage and blood. But then you were like, no, it's pink. And pink has a different color psychology. And this kind of blew my mind. It sounds really dumb. I'm glad I blow your mind, Calvin. <laughs> this is like the weirdest thing. I don't I don't know if anybody else has this, or maybe it's just because I'm a painter and how I mix colors. But for me, pink and red are essentially the same color. But in every other context, pink and red are just completely different colors like if you're naming colors and you see light blue versus dark blue both times you'll say blue like the sky is blue and the sea is blue like they're even though they're one is like a really dark blue and one is a really light blue they're both blue but if you if the sky was like pink you would say it's pink and not red but your blood is red yeah because i mean pink isn't just light red is it it's yeah it is oh it literally is i guess yeah it's no other color wow it's just white and red Hmm. that's true So all hues have a hues okay all colors like basic colors on the color wheel have a native value a native lightness or darkness Right. So the native color for blue, the blue that is most saturated, is is a darker value um, compared to a yellow, which is another one of these colors, um, where its na- native hue or its native value is much is, is very light. So if you have a dark yellow, can you imagine a dark yellow? Like a really dark yellow. No, I it can't. doesn't exist because it's brown. It's a different oh. color. Oh, wow! So some colors have are differentiated purely based on their lightness and darkness. I mean, in a from a color theory perspective or a physics perspective, like there's no difference, right? But I think from a, a psychology perspective, for some reason. Yellow and brown are are distinguished, even though they have, even though they're the same color, they're just at a different brightness, hmm. both in chroma and in value. Whereas a color like blue, it doesn't matter. I don't know what this means. I don't have a place where this bit is going. 
it's just been driving me crazy. That's really interesting. Because like green, there's light green and dark green. Blue, there's light and dark. Mm-hmm. Even orange. Well, I guess or- a light orange is a yellowish orange and a dark orange is a reddish no. orange. No. But I guess no, that you can have a dark orange. Huh. You, you can't have a dark orange. It's called brown. So the thing is, brown is a very interesting color. It's it's Thank a you. low chroma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. For those of you who have not seen a picture of Emmanuel, <laughs> I'm quite brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the joke. Wait, no, I do have a question about this though. Okay, because you yep. can have light brown and dark brown, but dark orange and dark yellow are brown, right? You can have a light brown. You can have a tan or beige or cream, but okay. So if you're thinking about this on a color wheel, you have three different aspects of color. You have value, which is how light or dark something is. Hue, which is where around the color wheel is it? Is it in the violet range? Is it in the yellow range? Um, And you also have chroma, which is like saturation, the intensity of the color. So brown is low chroma meaning it's very unsaturated and -hmm. it's warm so it's in between the yellows and the reds right so a you have a greenish brown right or a brownish green is that just a mixing of colors so a, a a brownish green what you're saying is it's a very low chroma low value yellow green so like on my palette, um, I have a high chroma yellow, which is like a bright yellow, primary yellow, and then I have a low chroma yellow, low value yellow, which is um, raw umber. Also, my studio is upstairs now, which is why I'm looking at it, which is cool. But yeah, so I have, I have a high chroma yellow and a low chroma yellow, but you can only have a high chroma yellow that is really light because otherwise, you, in order to lower yellow in value, you have to make it less saturated because yellow has an inherent value, which is light. Whereas red has sort of a middle inherent value and blue has an inherently dark value. Do you think this is something that is based on, say, culture and because in English we have like the name for blue applies to both light blue and dark blue like i'm trying to think of other languages if they have a completely different name for a sky blue as opposed to a deep ocean blue okay there's a fantastic video by vox about the evolution of names of color um wow it's it's a very specific video um and i don't want to butcher what's in it but it seems like the way that colors evolve in culture um, is very dependent on their use. Like, like we evolved a name for red linguistically um, because that's like a very specific and important color. Whereas like 
browns and greens and they're and they're all kind of the same color um or like blues they're all kind of the same color but you could also just talk about it as the color of the sky right but Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me like i do think that there's a psychological distinction between pink and red and i don't think it's just because we have a different name like i think there's something inherently different about the the way that our brains interpret the color yeah, that's really interesting. This is what I was thinking about during finals, I swear. During finals? During our our Humane Letters final, I was staring off out my window, and there's a bunch of yellow leaves out my window. And so this is what I could not stop thinking about. Wow. Think about that. I also have a pink piece of paper on my desk right here. So um, that just made you go wild. I I could not... Yeah, it was really hard to pay attention. Speaking of our Humane Letters final, uh, I think it was a really cool synthesis of our year. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Humane Letters is a combination of literature and history and politics and just all things humanities. And it's combined into one class which is mostly discussion based and when school was in session it was two periods straight of uh this and it's grown to be one of my favorite classes that we've had so we just had our final presentation ever and final class ever in humane letters so calvin how how do you think yours went um I definitely took a non-traditional path to answering that question um, because so how the final worked um, was we were supposed to give a presentation about one of the themes throughout the year and I heard that prompt and was kind of just like no Um, and instead My presentation on uh, my presentation was on the anatomy of a monster. That was the title of my thing, um, and it was about how people's perceptions of what a monster is changes over time, or changed over time, according to our curriculum. Obviously, not this isn't a, a holistic uh, approach to all culture because that would be way too much work, but. Um, <laughs> That's the only reason. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I th- I thought mine went pretty well. I drew a bunch of pretty pictures, or not pretty pictures. They were of Satan, so not particularly pretty. Just Satan, witches, and extremely vile man who lived in Russia and got murdered. Yeah, so the exact opposite of pretty. Um, but I wanted to take sort of a visual look at the way people live looked at monsters over time and how that has sort of converged upon humans being the monsters. Yeah, I really like the point that you made at the end where we can't separate or we shouldn't separate humanity from the disgusting things that humanity does. And your point about how we can't say Hitler was a monster and 
therefore exempt him from human from being human i think that that was a really good point that it's easy just to apply all these things to something that seems supernatural rather than something that is truly human yeah it's very easy to dismiss hitler as unhuman in his in his hatred and in his way of thinking but i think it is really important to remember that hitler is human and the reasons he committed those atrocities were human reasons and if you ascribe those things to only monsters you'll never expect it to come from the the real people you know so yeah i think that's very important how do you think yours went i think i think mine went pretty well i i was when i started the project i we were originally asked to pick somewhere around three books to look at and kind of synthesize the year with. And I started with three of the things that we read. And I think it was Macbeth, The Inferno, and Hamlet. And then I realized that actually I wanted to talk about all of the books that we read um, in, in some way, shape, or form, just because my topic was about freedom and bondage and how um, the through the curriculum, the different uh, theologians and philosophers that we read in the first half took the idea of freedom and bondage uh, very differently than the novels and plays that we read in the second half. And I think it was a really nice exercise for me to kind of see the variety um, of approaches kind of to this idea. Yeah, it was a very bold move, choosing every book. Um, but it's it's the kind of bold move our teacher likes, so bravo yeah. on that front. It seemed... Okay, go I'm just going to go ahead with it. Try yeah. not to be offended. Okay. It seemed like at the beginning, you were very unsure of yourself. And by the end, you had figured out what you were trying to say. Was this something that I projected onto you, or was that, or was that, do you think, a part of, of the way your your presentation was structured? I think part of it was that I did have to make very large generalizations, mm -hmm. and especially at the beginning, because I went through some of the greatest political philosophers who lived in about eight sentences so i everything i did all of say, them collectively to be clear he went through rousseau Locke, hobbes the whole bunch in like 30 seconds he didn't yeah. have much time yeah so i i i did not give them the i think w what they deserved and i had to kind of simplify it so i did feel a little bit almost self-conscious trying to synthesize uh rather just to bring together all these like great ideas into what i wanted to say so i i was and i was able to go a lot deeper in the second set of authors that i mm -hmm. brought up and i felt more comfortable because i think i did more justice to what they were saying than what the political philosophers i um that I did at the beginning. Yeah, it's 
when you're taking on a, a project of that scale, making those big assumptions is always the scariest part. Like whenever, whenever I write an essay, I always have a tendency to choose very grand topics because I get bored by anything that's not grand, which I know is like one of my, my primary vices. But there's always this terrifying feeling of what if somebody's just like, no, that's a dumb assumption. And then like your entire grand argument is just mitigated by somebody's probably fair criticism. Yeah, exactly. But I think our teacher liked it, and I think most other people were. <laughs> we were two hours in, three hours in of listening to each other's presentations, so I think most people weren't going to investigate some of those assumptions as thoroughly. It's, it's interesting to see how people are reacting or did react to the last little bits of work. I think that was very telling because some people were like, okay, they're not going to fail us now. My grade is already set in. And then just like did not care at all. And other people, I think you and I included, okay, maybe more me, were just like, I've worked so hard for this. I've got to finish on a high note. And then there are people, I think, like you, who are sort of just like, I'm just going to chill out a little bit, but like still try, which is probably the rational approach to take. But I think it was very interesting to see people split into those three categories. Yeah, I still wanted to have something of value. I just may have, I, I thought a lot about it. I just didn't <laughs> do my PowerPoint till half an hour before yeah I really need to learn to chill out <laughs> yeah you should take a gap year you know if Amherst ever freaking sent me an email <laughs> back I would okay this is I, <laughs> I felt so bad right because I, I almost didn't want to tell you just to like like maybe uh -huh. I was like maybe I'll tell him after he gets his but like I sent my email in and the next day I got an email back <gasps> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> the next day. You said you're saying okay. May 1st and you're getting it. No, June I eight. sent mine in April 30th. Okay, sorry. Or maybe <laughs> even April 29th. Oh and gosh. every day I recheck that I sent the email in at oh least three God. times. <laughs> I say every day. It's more like every night at like 3 a.m. I'm like, oh, crap. What if I forgot to send it? <laughs> to send it. And then I'm just panicking and then I'm like oh of course I sent it I sent it at like 3 p.m. I checked the email address like five different times but I'm just going insane okay so the thing is I got a confirmation for the deferral request which was a form I sent in yeah can I just explain what's going on this is yeah. okay, this Calvin and I both um applied for uh, deferrals to our colleges because we were hoping to take gap years and um, Calvin was very responsible and his college <laughs> gave a deadline of June 1st is it yeah yeah you have to submit your deferral letter by June 1st and Calvin being the lazy person he has decided to do it by <laughs> April 31st or April 30th or 29th um, anyway, continue on with your story. Yeah, I sent mine in a month early, 
um, because I was like, well, they may get a lot of extra ones this year, and I want mine to be at the top of the pile. So I put on all this stress, just trying to make it perfect in like two days so I could send it out a month before the deadline. Well, okay, it's not a month before the deadline. April 30th was the old deadline, but because of COVID, everything got pushed back a month. So I, I sent mine in when the old deadline was. But they have not even given me a confirmation, and I'm legitimately freaking out. So last week we had our last math class and last official classes besides um, our final project. And I think that's when one wave of sadness hit us because when one of our teachers ended class because she said that she might uh, start crying if she were here. And I think it made us all feel the same way. And yeah, high school's over. This is it. It's so weird. And I know everybody is experiencing this really weird thing at the same time, but it's still just so weird. Yeah. Like I've been at this school for 10 years. That's long. That's like more than half of my life. And it's all just going to end soon. Like I, I think it's, it's, it's almost like a little trail off, like a fade out a long two month fade out that's yeah. been happening and at some point the song ends we're back to the fact that classes are over and yeah we're just feeling a little bit sad I we have graduation still um, and I think there's a senior dinner that we're going to do online which will be kind of nice to at least yeah. see the teachers one more time but th we won't even have our teachers at our graduation which is the drive-in because we need to limit the number of people there the dinya the ooh, the dinya mm -hmm. at the dinner they're going to do senior tributes i am not a very crying person like i don't cry a whole lot or at least I'm I'm pretty good about, like, controlling when I cry. Like, if I'm going to cry, I'm just like, I'm going to cry, right? But the only time I'm, I just can't stop it is when people say really nice, earnest things about me. So, like, there have been so many, like, tributes or occasions where people would say nice things about me since I'm leaving and I did a bunch of things, like I was the leader for a bunch of different clubs, and so there are a lot of different occasions where people would be saying nice things about me. And I just can't, like it's my weakness. I don't know why, when sad things happen, I'm just like, well, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> and I just don't cry. But whenever anybody says something nice about me, I'm just like already tearing up. That's why I, I try to not be as nice to Calvin because you know, he, I don't want him to start crying on me. So if I'm ever rude to Calvin, that's why. It's just he can see me tearing up. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just such a nice person naturally that I don't want to push yeah. you too far. 
Don't want to push me over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, I'm very excited to cry um, <laughs> at that. Yeah. From many miles away from the teachers who are giving us our tributes. Yeah. I think it'll start hitting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And today was weird because this was the first day where we just don't have anything. Like we're completely finished. Yeah. This is the day after our last final and our only final this year. Um, so school is like actually over. Have you been doing anything fun with your extra time? Yeah, I actually, last week after some homework that I finished, we have so little homework now, which is amazing. Um, but I decided I wanted to sew my own mask. I'm not really sure where this intense urge came from, but I literally woke up and said, I really want to sew a mask today. So I watched a bunch of YouTube videos and then found uh, my favorite one. And at nine o'clock, I started work <laughs> on my mask and it... I have sewed before, and... You can tell he's an expert at sewing, because he said the word sewed. I've sewed... Okay. <laughs> I have... <laughs> that is that is a dig at my grammar, not at my <laughs> sewing ability. My grammar, I will admit, is very lacking. Um, <laughs> moving on, I... I've... Ever, I've sown before, I guess that is right. That sounds like sowing seeds. Anyway, um, I have sown. Wait, I, I think we got, I think we should take a, another Google break and figure out what this is. Okay, so we're back. We decided that, or I realized I was not that bad because sowed is correct if I said I did. No, I. Just I sewed. I sewed, right. But because I said I have sewn, I have to say sewn. All right. Anyway, I can finish my story now. So I, I, I sewed this mask, and it's actually a really pretty mask. Um, it is this pink cloth that I found with little flowers on it, and it's I, I, I added some upgrades to it so it has a little pipe cleaner so that I can press my nose around it and it's a fitted mask so it's not just any regular mask it's oh, wow. it, it like goes up to your nose you went bougie with this yeah I did it took me only two hours or two and a half hours to make a simple mask but to be fair I, I it was my first time and first time sewing in a very long time have you gone out with it i have yeah i the day i got it i decided i needed to use it so i actually i this is the best part though i think i put some lavender essential oils on the inside so that i don't have to breathe in like you know those blue masks they smell really bad like i i can't handle it for more than the amount of time it takes me to shop, which is a long, long time to get some basic groceries. But with my lavender scented fitted 
pink pipe cleaner mask. It's great. Where'd you go? I I think I oh yeah, I dropped off some food at someone's house. So I, I actually didn't get to use it that much, but from the car to their doorstep, I felt the need to wear, wear the mask. Did that lavender really help? It that. really helped. Oh, I also, I did go grocery shopping. I went, I went and bought some milk after that. Grocery stores are very different now. Like not just from like before the whole COVID thing, but just from the beginning of COVID. Like, people are so chill at the grocery stores, at least where we are now. I mean, they're obviously a little, like, trying to keep their distance, but only a little bit. And none of the the buying restrictions are up anymore. Like, you can just buy as much of whatever you want now, which I think is interesting. I, I wonder if that's because people are not as worried about the food chain falling apart now or if that's because the stores are just getting better stocked in order to meet with demand yeah i think it's interesting though because even early on right i was at wegman's and I, i think i sent you a picture of it but i was standing nearly probably more than an eighth of a mile, maybe a quarter of a mile from the entrance of Wegmans because they had the really long socially distanced line. And on top of that, they were letting a person go in only when someone came out. And even Mm -hmm. then people, once they got inside the store, they were a little bit cautious, but if you (laughs) brush shoulders with someone, I, I, I think I did brush shoulders with someone a couple mm-hmm. of times and and there's only so much you can do once you're inside a store because you're touching the same things and not everyone's wearing gloves yeah. so yeah and i think definitely though people have gotten a lot more chill about it even in new jersey yeah we do kind of live at one of the worst places like we're not in new york city but where we live in new jersey is not a great place still. And I know even in PA, people are really chill. Um, or people down south a little bit are all going to the beach um, and asking us, like, when are you guys going to go have your parties and things? And it's just like people are still, a lot of people are still dying where we are. And just in other parts of the world, or even in other parts of the East Coast, like, it's just fine which is really weird because at the beginning of this whole thing, it was very much we're all in this together and everybody was in quarantine and everybody was or socially distancing or whatever. And everybody was doing the same thing and it felt like we were all doing this together. But I think now as different places are opening up and different communities are having different reactions to the the data that's coming out, I think that unity is sort of disappearing. Yeah, and and you mentioned like really close to us, and I went to PA just half an hour from where we live, and the parks, I think 
there were two or three people who were wearing masks. Like, it is completely different. Like, they had people walking around without masks in the parks when we were still... There were police officers near your house, right, Calvin? Oh, you're talking about the police officers near my park? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I missed that cue. So what are you going to do with your school books now that high school's over? I don't know. I think I'm going to keep most of them. Definitely the pages with my assignments in them I'm going to throw away because I'm not going to go back to those. But I think the texts that we're reading, like Dante's Inferno and all the philosophy stuff, I think I'm going to keep. Right now, I'm actually using my copy of Nicomachean Ethics as a part of my still life, uh, which I'm working on right now. So I don't know if that's the most use I'm going to get out of it (laughs) for the rest of my life, because there is a very good chance I will never pick it up again. Um, or there's a chance that I will read it several times throughout the rest of my life. I really don't know. Yeah, I, I think I'm in a similar position. I, I, I do want to either reread or finish reading some of the books that we didn't get to finish, like Nicomachean Ethics. Mm-hmm. We we read in little chunks, and I think I would at some point like to go through the entire um, thing, but... Again, I, I don't know if or when that'll be the case. We we didn't get to read Descartes this year, and I saw the book that I had, and I have this grand idea of reading it, but I feel like it, I don't know if I will actually get down to it or have the willpower to read something so dense. Yeah, I stopped reading, like, not in total, but reading, like, personal books, when I started painting because just all of my time got caught up in painting. But I think if I do take a gap year or if my gap year gets accepted, (laughs) I will, I'm going to try to read um, a couple books every month. Maybe that's too ambitious. I don't, I don't know exactly what my goal is going to be, but I'm, I'm definitely going to try to do some proper reading. Yeah, I think so too. I'm I'm right now I'm reading a couple of things, listening to some things and reading some other. I, I'm reading some of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches, which is really cool. And I think it's very relevant, especially at this time, to be going back to some of those documents. So I, I want to I want to be well read and, and read all these things again and know them. Uh I just I'm not sure I will, but I will be keeping all of my, especially Humane Letters books, just so I have them. Yeah, I think for me, this may sound really dumb, but there's a gap between the books I want to have read and the books I want to read. And it's not like I only want to have read like really difficult books. I only want to read easy, fun books, but... Like, I really liked reading Plato, and I really liked reading Dante. But, like, Augustine and Luther, I want to have read them 
and be able to bring them up in conversation. Yeah. I don't want to continue reading them because they're so dry. And I get that they're important ideas, but also, come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel that too. There's There's quite a bit that I wish I could just talk about off the top of my head but I've tried like I've genuinely tried reading some things where like I really want to understand this better and I pulled up a pdf of this great text and I just lost interest at the second sentence because it's just so deep and I think that's one thing that I'm grateful to have humane letters for because it forced me to read or at least understand what a lot of these texts did. <laughs> um, and so I have some knowledge base so I can talk to someone about it or bring up the ideas that they... Yeah, it gives you a basis or some frame of reference with which you can start to understand other works. And I think it also gets you a little less terrified of them. Like... After you read a little bit of Plato and a little bit of Aristotle, and you're like, okay, I kind of understand that, then it's not as big of a leap to say, oh, I'll just finish all these five dialogues and I'll finish all those things because they're they're much scarier to talk about, which is part of why they're impressive. But like, I think once you've read a couple of them, you can really start to understand that they're not scary and they're just books like every other book yeah i agree there's a little pitch for the liberal arts education you're not going to a liberal arts school i'm not i'm going to a very tech school it's in the name <laughs> and i i did i'm going to the most <laughs> liberal arts school and that's what makes it really interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I did apply to some more liberal artsy schools. Some I didn't get into. Actually, pause. I think all I didn't get into. But um, <laughs> putting that aside, I <laughs> I think I, I have found a lot of value in a liberal arts education. And I think that... I would like my children to have some sort of education like this. I, I just don't see myself um, as a career path. I just don't see it as something that's as viable right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of the humanities, if you want to do them at a really high level, I feel like they're all just writing essays. And I can't, I, I just can't do and that. That's it. I, and and writing like the artsy kind of profound essays that like hurt me <laughs> and that's why you're doing humanities <laughs> that's why i'm going into the humanities now i'll probably study mathematics because let's be real after i take my third art history course uh i I listen to so many art history lectures because i love art history lectures but i have like five different lectures that i I just have to ban, like whenever I see their name, I just can't watch them because they take such a like abstract approach that's so academic and so like removed from what art is that like 
that they're like interpreting interpretation and then interpreting layers and layers of interpretation that like it becomes so abstracted from what the art actually was that like and I get that it's like properly intelligent and academic but I just don't find it useful and it makes my head hurt and is not useful to me I need to stop complaining <laughs> I th I think a lot about this I'm I'm like even with my very close friends I make fun of you guys all the time yep like my primary way of showing affection is like haha I hate you <laughs> or like haha we all suck together and I think I need to work on that you know yeah I think that goes for both of us <laughs> I think as anyone listening can see <laughs> <laughs> you can always tell when those uh those jingles are about to come because you can see us just like going down and yep. down and down and then boop. <laughs> but yeah thanks for listening uh, <laughs> see you later bye let's roll the intro outro outro